welcome uh, Chris and I would like to uh, invite him and start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you embarked upon this journey. Uh, just for the record, Chris is the core of a grain of sand, an organization dedicated to delivering positive change. Uh, Chris is a highly respected communicator and driver of positive change. So he was founder and director of Surface Against Sewage for 10 years, described as some of the government's most sophisticated environmental critics uh, by BBC News and Current Affairs and Britain's coolest pressure group by The Independent. With a strong focus on solutions to problems, he helped deliver 5 billion uh, pounds in the UK coastline. So I'd like to welcome you very warmly today, Chris, and invite you to start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you embarked upon this journey. Yeah, good morning. Um, well, in afternoon, I think, with you. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I guess I started my journey growing up in uh, and being connected to the natural environment. So, you know, my even from a young age, my parents would take me to the beach and up onto the some moorland near us and be a, a national park. So I kind of had that connection with the natural environment. And I think in life, if you love something, then you look after it. And I love the natural environment. So when I saw that it was being polluted, um, we, uh, you know, myself and a bunch of friends set out to do something about it. And that's how we co-founded, you know, I was a co-founder of Surface Against Sewage in 1990. And we literally set off almost with no knowledge whatsoever. You know, we were incredibly naive when we set off to do this. We were just a little bunch of concerned citizens. But we went, no, our, our sewage is, our, our beaches are contaminated with sewage. And I'll quote Margaret Thatcher. So in 1989, the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, stated, and I quote on BBC Nature, all sewage is treated before discharge. Now, that was a downright lie because there were 400 million gallons of completely crude sewage being discharged around our coastal waters every day when she said that. From Newquay to Newcastle, Brighton to Blackpool, literally what you flushed down the toilet went straight into the sea. And we would surf and bathe in this. And, you know, tourists would have to go and paddle and these panty liners and condoms would get wrapped around their ankles. You know, I've had them stuck in my hair. But we set out to turn our seas back into the wonderful recreational playground that it is, that thing that we loved. And we did that and over a 10 year period, we used the law, we judicially reviewed one of our local council, took them to the Royal Courts of Justice in London. We bought shares in every single water company. That was one of the first things we did because then we could go to their annual general meetings and we would influence and affect their share price by, you know, sometimes the financial commentators from the national media would ask us which water companies were pursuing good technologies and which ones were wedded to old technologies. So we could affect the share prices and we would go to the European Parliament, and brief, uh, I even briefed the president of the European Parliament once on um, what we saw as wrong with the things, but also importantly, what the solution was. And we found our solution. And interestingly, our solution was uh, a cheaper option. Sometimes people will say that, um, you know, it's more expensive to do the right, the sustainable thing. But with sewage, they were, all the water companies were planning to build long sea outfalls and literally take the sewage and discharge it further out to sea. 
Now, we found, because we went and did research, that the little island of Jersey, uh, a little independent um, island, it's still UK owned but and governed, but it has its own, it's an autonomous little island. And they had put in this thing called ultraviolet light disinfection. And the bacterial count in their outfall pipe was 50 times cleaner than the standard on our beaches. So, and it was nine million pounds cheaper than building along sea outfall. So we found our solution. Um, and that was something I, I was called to give evidence in front of the UK parliament, in front of a House of Commons Select Committee. And they quizzed me about that. And they said, how confident are you in this technology? And I said, based on the bacterial count, I feel 50 times safer sticking my head up Jersey's outfall pipe than I would bathing on a UK beach, such as the one that, that we were finding contaminated. And I actually, the island of Jersey asked me to go out and I did, I duck dived into the mouth of 100,000 people's sewage discharge uh, to promote the technology that they were using. So I think that's kind of how we got going, but it was always fired with this, that kind of passion to make, you know, to do the right thing. Um, and I think when you love something as well, you know, it's, it's like if someone were to attack your family, you would do anything to protect it. You would do anything to try to make sure that the right thing happened. And irrespective of how often people said, no, you're wrong, go back, get back in your box, be quiet, you, you're not going to. So I think that's kind of been my journey in life. And, and I still see that now I'm passionate about the environment 31 years on. I mean that's 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 been a brilliant journey, you know. So, uh, so Chris, uh, uh, as we are aware, you know, humanity is confronting enormous challenges. I mean, uh, climate change, population growth, technological innovations, alongside growing inequality, uh, geopolitical shifts, and more. So, what is the role of the financial industry in addressing these monumental issues? Well, I think the financial industry is probably one of the most powerful um sectors in affecting this and because you know they can make decisions and steer the companies even though a company will say that they want to continue doing the old polluting technologies um the financial institutions own them and there was a classic situation once where we were uh, i'd been invited to go and talk to all of the shareholders in london who owned Southwest Water. And it was in, I was on the, the train station in Cornwall, uh, where I live and we're based. And I had the um, independent newspaper and it said sewage to be raised in the city, in the city of London. And it was on the financial pages of the independent newspaper. And I then got on the train and the, the, the person who'd organized this this dinner, and I was, so it was a lunch in London. And I then was the after dinner speaker to, these people who own the water company and the water company southwest water had phoned up and said how dare you you can't invite him and the people who were organizing it said um well actually we can do what we like because we own you so if we want to hear from the environmental campaigners we will hear from them and we'll then come and talk to you and explain and ask you to explain why you're not doing what the environmental campaigners are so it's that that that's the power of the financial institutions. You know, the you can have a, the, the biggest influence. And sometimes I look at kind of the role of government and sometimes governments will follow 
because they're a little bit cowardly sometimes. Sometimes they'll look around and they'll watch what good business is doing. And the other thing that financial institutions is, and, and I guess the longer term, one of the, the bigger challenges is to have long term um, and not be completely focused on you know, quarterly returns. Because some of the things that we need to happen are over a 10 year period or a five year period. They're not literally going to turn around. We need investment in new technologies. We need the support for it coming through. But when, when the financial institutions say, we're backing this, governments will also see that the financial institutions are backing it. So I think that role is massive. And ultimately as well, you know, it's a lot of it is the people's money. And therefore people have a responsibility as well to ask where their investments are and we're seeing an ever increasing um, shift from you know, the normal population, putting their money into green investment accounts. That's becoming more and more of a, of a, of a desire and that's people spending their money. So I think financial institutions are really important, but also the power of the individual. Um, and I, just before the, the COVID lockdown, I was at a, a youth summit at the United Nations in Geneva and there were 200 students present. And I said to all of them, you, for the first time in your life, are about to have um, a significant financial power in your pocket. Because each one of those students will spend £9,000 a year on their university of choice for their, their tuition fees. Uh, so £27,000 each, 200 people in that room. That's £5.4 million they had collectively. Now, it's not that they should just solely on the basis of the environmental performance of their university choose it they still want to go to the best university but absolutely they should ask that question you know when you go for the interview for which university you go to it's a two-way interview and students have the power to say you know are you sourcing your electricity from renewable sources what are you doing with your waste what is your policy towards you know uh, development. How are you complying with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals? Absolutely. I mean, uh, so would, would you say, uh, can sustainable finance help us transition to a sustainable planet? I think it's, it's, it, it, it's yeah, it's crucial. The role of, of yeah, sustainable finance will accelerate it. Without it, we, we probably won't get there quick enough. We, and, uh, we have to have that. We, when I look at the game, if, if you looked, if you were to say this is, um, you know, the, the, the challenges, all those challenges that you set out, climate change, population growth, and they're all like the, creating the perfect storm. And, you know, we do all want a better quality of life. So that means that we've all got to lift up slightly as well. And I think there is a pressure and I think a correct pressure that the top comes down. We need a better redistribution of wealth on the planet. It's not right that, you know, 100 individuals own, you know, whatever it is. I can't remember the, the statistic, but it's, it's and, and that's actually, you know, I think that's obscene to people. And I think, and it's not that there shouldn't be, you know, profit isn't a dirty word because profit, if you make profit, you can plow it back in to do good things. So I'm all in favor of, you know, really well-functioning companies, but also companies that look after the people and the planet. Um, 
And, you know, the, the, the sustainable finance is essential. All of us essential. We need everybody playing this game. I mean, even, you know, earlier this week at the European Football Championships, Cristiano Ronaldo did that amazing move where he was at a press conference and he took the two bottles of Coca-Cola and removed them and held up a bottle of water. Yes, I, I saw that. <laughs> and that damaged 1.6% 1, 1 drop in the share value of Coca-Cola. That's an impact. And, but I know, I do work with, um, I advise a staff-owned community interest dental company, and they were just going, yes. Because in Cornwall, the single reason, the most, the most common reason for children to be sedated and put under general anaesthetic is removal of teeth due to sugar contamination. And my partner, Katie, she's a doctor in, um, she's a pediatrician looking after children, specializing in diabetes. So, you know, all of these medics, all these people, professionals are just going, Ronaldo, we love you <laughs> because he, he, and he has that power. So he has that power. The financial institutions have a power. You know, we all, as customers, everybody has businesses, universities, and politicians as well need to listen to us and understand. And they are our politicians, not the other way around. Absolutely. Uh, so, so do you say, you know, have we reached a, a tipping point where it is no longer acceptable to make any profit without considering its impact on the planet and the people who live on it? Yeah, I think we're, I think we're, we're at that point. And if we're not, then, every, then I would urge anybody who doesn't understand that to take a week off and go and experience, go to the front line, go and, you know, just immerse yourself in the, the, the trouble the world's in. Go and spend a week looking and experiencing and talking to people on the front line of climate change and poverty and all of that. You know, when you have people like, you know, and I've got the book here, you know, Mark Carney Values. And in there, he says, you know, that part of our problem is that there's a poverty of perspective amongst people who are setting the values. You know, it, if, you, if you think you can buy a t-shirt or two t-shirts for 10 pounds and not understand that someone and something, i.e. the environment is suffering for you to have that, then it's time to, you know, wake up, have a coffee, smell the coffee, and realize that you're living in cloud cuckoo land. And, you know, companies who do get it will perform better. I think, you know, again, and there's research that's showing that, you know, that, that companies that care will attract the best minds. Because the young population, you know, and the best graduates are gonna go and work for the best companies. So we are at that tipping point and those people are going that way, but we've known this for a long time. So, you know, and, and other people will want to partner with you as a company. So you attract the best and, and you won't get fined and you won't get, you know, public derision or damage of your brand. You know, if Cristiano Ronaldo can do that in one press conference, you think what they can do if they really set their mind to it. And, you know, are we at tipping points? 
I'm sure we are. I saw something only uh, earlier this week, a friend put a little post up on social media and he said he suddenly had this, this moment of clarity in a car park where he's, he went, I think we're past the point, the tipping point of peak combustion engines. Because if you think how many cars, there will probably never be more combustion engine driven cars than there have just been because now everything's the electrics are really kicking in and the combustion engines are starting to drop off if you'd gone back 10 years ago you would have you would have said no that's that's not going to happen well uh for generations uh humanity has taken uh, more from the oceans uh then you know it puts back in yeah. Uh, today, man's contribution to the seas is significant, but damaging. I mean, uh, increased carbon emissions uh, have increased sea temperatures, melting polar regions and corals worldwide by 2030. 90% of coral reefs will be threatened with extinction. So can the crisis be averted and uh, can the blue bond follow its older sibling, the green bond? in drawing investment into the ocean conservation. What do you think, Chris? Um, I mean, I, I think we all have to accept that we're in the crisis. You know, the crisis isn't over the horizon anymore. We are in it right now. Uh, and what we're trying to do now is to make uh, the crisis uh, less serious. And that means that we have to bring our best game to the table. We have to invest in our marine environment. We have to, yeah, the blue bond has to do its work. It has to invest in, you know, not only the environment, but the communities that live around the, the, the ocean's edge. And, you know, the in back in early 2000s, when the tsunami happened, you know, I, I think probably everybody on the face of the planet probably saw or heard of this amazing tsunami. Maybe if you're in the middle of Mongolia, you might not have or, or deep inland. But that, you know, we saw the violence of that. And we saw that kind of, you know, and thousands of people died. Climate change is like a slow tsunami, but it's coming and it is unstoppable. So we are gonna have to develop and change and invest in, you know, looking after the people. And, and ironically, it's a lot of the people with the lowest carbon footprints the smallest, who some of them probably hardly have any carbon footprint at all, who are on that front line. And in terms of political stability around the world as well, you know, it's no good for countries to build kind of like, you know, fortress nations where they keep consuming and keep taking in and forget about and, and think that they aren't connected to those people on the other side of the planet who are suffering. Because if you do that, you make yourself a target. And, you know, we need all of us to be involved. Or, you know, all seven, eight billion of us, and it's gonna be that number. And we all need to bring our best game, but we need to understand everybody's challenges and, and, and to see it as a good thing. If you can bring that kind of, you know, the blue bond and it's looking after those communities, helping them, you know, develop technologies and livings and, and you know, protecting the reefs, mangrove swamps. I mean, we should be replanting mangroves and seagrass because they can, you know, these things can absorb lots and lots of carbon. So there's lots of solutions out there, 
And one of the roles of the financial sector is, is to help bring the best of those technologies forward. And to, and to seek, you know, absolute rapid deployment. Because, and, and, and not to get too overcomplicated about it. I mean, I, I do remember something, you know, uh, which uh, I, I read a documentary which mentioned about we are so consciously making an effort on the net zero uh, in the automotive industry. But whilst we don't understand uh, the sustainable fishing or, uh, you know, kind of damaging the coral reefs is far more harmful compared to uh, uh, what the automotive industry would do. What, what's your take there? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, and it's it, it's like the aviation. Everybody says, or oh, you know, flying's the, the worst thing. I mean, concrete and steel, the carbon footprint of concrete and steel is, uh, and the construction sector is one of the biggest in the world. And you know, the, the energy consumption of the buildings that we we make, but absolutely the oceans. You know, if the reefs go, if you know, if sea level rise happens, the cost of that will be astronomical. And you know you can't you, you can try and hold the sea back, but the amount of money that you're going to put into that, and you know we need that biodiversity. It's ironic that we kind of go up into space. We put all that money into you know space tourism, and yet we don't actually understand what's in the sea. I uh, uh, and yeah, we we have to understand our oceans better. And we have to give them more priority. Uh, you know, it, it's only because we've named the planet that it's called Earth. <laughs> it would be planet water. It would be aqua. It's blue, seven tenths blue. We are seven tenths water. I think the sharks should start walking now on the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ego is the question. Yeah. Well, occasionally you did. There was a uh, there was a, a classic case, wasn't there, a, a couple of years ago, where a whale swam up the Thames past the Houses of Parliament. Now it was quite, you know, I know why that whale was there. Maybe he runs for elections. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was there. Like to, and we need to see that and understand that, you know, we are disturbing the oceans. And yet we're still thinking that, you know, maybe we can mine them and, you know, we, we have to understand that we are part of it. There's a UN, um, report that says up to a million species will become extinct. And yet we all too often as humans, we we're so arrogant that we haven't quite clicked that if one million species are gonna go extinct, we're gonna be one of them. We think that they're, we don't understand that we're part of nature. And actually nature will probably morph around and go, yep, let's exit the humans <laughs> and a certain other set of species will continue. But yeah, to not understand that we, if a million species are gonna become extinct, what are the chances that we will be one of them? Well, this is, uh, I mean, I have another very interesting uh, topic on greenwashing. Uh, mm -hmm. So this comes out, out of some statistics that uh, uh, we did about a survey that was conducted by iResearch with 550 financial service professionals uh, that believe at least some competitors deliberately greenwashed customers about their ethical practices. 
So just how possible is it to eradicate this greenwashing? Uh, if people want to do it, they'll keep doing it. So there's two things here. One is your moral value. Who are you kidding? You know, when you go to sleep at night, who are you cheating? You're cheating your fellow human beings. You're cheating the planet. And if you don't think that karma is going to catch up with you at some point or other, or that shark is going to come munching when you're on holiday, you know, maybe that's what needs to happen. So, you know, when people, we have to have a moral understanding of our connection to nature and we have to have moral values. Um, we, if we don't understand that, that we have that connection and a responsibility. And I don't mean necessarily like in a religious form, but in a spiritual way, we are just a species and we have a moral uh, obligation to look after each other and the planet. You know, there's the famous quote from um, David Brower, you know, no business on a dead planet. So even if you're just interested in making money, you're not gonna keep making money if, you, if, you, if you're cheating because there won't be anybody to buy your product. And if, but if you don't get it on a moral basis, then the laws will have to come in. But also your competitors will blow you out, out because when you're cheating, you're telling lies. And if you're telling lies, you're always having to cover your back and remember which lie you told to who. And eventually you will be outed, you will be caught. What a waste of, of energy. You'll, you'll, you'll do better. You'll do better business by be doing the right thing and not cheating. Because people will want to work for you. People will want to partner with you, governments, university, other businesses, you know, developers, inventors, and the public will want to buy your product. So it's the right thing to do for all those reasons. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, apparently the same global survey uh, says 45% of financial services professionals say cost is the most important or significant barrier to adopting more sustainable strategies. So what are some ways in which companies can overcome this barrier? I mean, uh, I rightly understand, you know, the, how the packaged bottled water really works. And that, that comes to my point, you know, I mean, uh, if, uh, this is something that's quite harmful to the oceans and to the nature, but it's just replacing it from plastic to glass, there's a cost involved to it. So what's, what's your uh, uh, take on that? Uh, uh, what are some ways in which companies can overcome this particular barrier? So. I mean, it, using the example of bottled water, plastic bottled water, I mean, I grew up in a time when there was no bottled water. It's an invention to sell mass product to everybody, whether it be glass or water or whatever. You know, we live in a country, so in, in some places, you, you know, you might need it and you might need it in special situations, but you don't need it. In the way, you know, in the UK, we have the best, some of the best tap water in the world. Why would I go and spend £1.50 to buy something when, you know, this cost me probably about two pence, this pint of water here, if that. 
and I can fill up my water jug. So those kind of things are, are, are a bit of a con. Um, and, you know, does doing the right thing environmentally cost more? It does maybe in the short term when you're developing a product. But if you think about the mobile phone as a classic example, the first mobile phones would have cost thousands of pounds. And yet, as they get developed, as they get better, as more people buy them, you uh, they become cheaper to produce and the environmental understanding of production and the people who are producing them, you know, th those systems get set up. And if you amortize those costs over a longer period of time, you can do the right thing. And again, going back to the example of the long sea outfall, it was, you know, it was 11 million pounds to build the long sea outfall, 2 million pounds to do the UV treatment, nine million pounds saved on one sewage treatment plant. And I think that's the case with, you know, as we see new technologies come through, they're always more expensive when they first come through. But as they are, you know, as, they, as they're replicated in mass numbers, the, the technology becomes cheaper. So short term might be more expensive, long term and especially if you take in the, va the the value and again this is some of what mark carney's talking about and it's about triple bottom line thinking and b corporation you can't just take the financial value you have to take into consideration the social value of something and the environmental value of something and that's sometimes hard to do but you know i worked at a place called the eden project which is um you know massive great greenhouses and I was the sustainability director there and when I first was there with the every single cups plate spoon fork um, were all single use and all went to landfill and we looked at the triple bottom line the environmental social and financial impact of getting rid of those and putting in you know proper crockery and cutlery and plates and things and putting in a dishwasher and environmentally, we reduced our landfill by eight tons a year. We reduced the carbon and material impact of the manufacture and transportation of all of those to us. Socially, we created two jobs. People got a nicer cup of tea because they could have it in a cup and, we, and they could have salad on their plate because it wasn't a wobbly cardboard plate. And financially, we sold more tea, we sold more salad, and we saved ourselves 159,000 pounds over a five year period. So it, it, it's that digging in and saying there is a social value, there is also an environmental value and cost. It's not just about money. Because also when you go, you know, when, when I get into a little wicker basket at the end of my life, I'm, I, I'm not taking anything with me. Well, well, Chris, you know, as, as you rightly mentioned in your previous comments uh, about you no know, responsibility lies with us all. Uh, so who do you think should be doing more to create more sustainable financial services ecosystem? Uh, would it be organizations themselves, policymakers, governments who would take the bigger chunk here? It has to be every it has to be everybody. This yeah. is a team. This is a team effort. So everybody who has any investment into a financial service whether it be through the bank that you choose or your mortgage company or insurance or anything like that wherever you spend your money um everything that you buy but also the financial institutions need to take that on board as well and understand that they serve the customer they're part of the world 
The financial sector isn't operating on another planet. It's here. It's us. We, we're all involved. And it's a, a tool. And government, absolutely. But I also think, you know, there is a role for our culture here to do this, for our musicians and our sports players and our, you know... Influencers. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, when, when you can see everybody doing that, the right thing, and those examples. So I have this little phrase that use every tool and use them better. So we live in a world where, where all these tools are used to make and sell everything to us. We just need to flip all of those. We need to own those. We need to tell the best stories. We have to have the best adverts. We have to be positive about our future and, and use all the technologies and every tool that has got us to where we are now and tune them up, turn the volume up and, you know, make it all work. We can do this, but we've got to bring our best game to the table, everyone. Do you think uh, the policymakers make a little bit of more impact compared to uh, 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 your organizations or governments? Yeah, I, I, I think policy, when you say policymakers, do you mean government or? Yeah, the. I mean, there are governments involved and there are policymakers, the decision makers, I would say, you know, who basically write the policies for uh, civil service. Yeah. So, yes, and I think, you you know, we, we need to understand and help them make the right policies. And again, if they're not understanding the ramifications of their policies and what those policies really mean, then somehow or other they need to be open to that and we need to influence those policy making um, decisions and they need to be open you know and I think open um, transparent and engaging government is an important issue you know we we as the citizens and business and everybody we need to be able to understand what people are doing and have dialogue you know even when things are tough you have to go and sit down yeah, and we used to do that with the water companies, you know, we would be doing a big demonstration outside there on the beach, you know, when we had our wetsuits, we had gas masks on, we had a 10 foot inflatable poo, and we would do a press call in the morning. But Dirk Cymru Welsh Water used to then always go, oh, that hurt a bit, you know, and we would have had loads of, we would have been on the television and everything. But they would say, come and have lunch with us. And then we would sit down and have dialogue. And then when they just made the decision to do the right thing and apply this UV treatment to all of their, their discharges, all of their sewage treatment works, we were asked to open their first UV treatment works. We cut the ribbon, it was our names on the plaque. And that was because we'd had the dialogue, because they'd gone, well, what do you want? We've got this policy of building Lonsey outfalls. Why don't you like it? And we had to explain and we had to find the answer and then they looked at the answer and they went, yep, that's okay. We like that. We'll do that. And we would go, we'll support, you know, we'll support you. We, so we were as strong advocates of, of the, of the, of the right as we were critics of the wrong. And I think we need to do that. We need to celebrate the good and we need to help policymakers. So when we were trying to influence that policymaker in London, who was at the department of the environment, they, you know, they're kind of watching this game going on, but we were going, you can make this policy, you can change your policy. 
to do the right thing. So policy makers don't exist in a, in, in a vacuum. And good policy makers absolutely go out of their way to go and gather as much evidence as possible, to have as broad a vision and understanding and knowledge of their subject matter from all aspects. You know, I have a Houses of Parliament Select Committee down there. And it was, you know, the people who are listed were, you know, the Secretary of State for the Environment, the financial regulator, the environmental regulator for the UK, the water company, scientists, and there was us, Surface Against Sewage. And we were that wild card. We were the people who would say, well, actually, that's all very well, but have you really thought about this over here? And I think, you know, if, if you're writing a policy, go and find the person who makes that real difference. There was a classic one I saw, um, and I think it was Jamaica, where th this person in Jamaica was trying to get his head around. It, it, was a, it was a Caribbean island, and the government were trying to understand how IT worked. And this was in the 1990s. And they got this young guy came in who was an absolute wizard on IT. But what actually happened was that they, the, the minister just went, he's so interesting, but he lives in a completely different world. I don't know anything about what it's like to be 16, 17 years old anymore. So he got the information about the IT, but he also kept this young man coming to see him because he would tell him about all the other aspects of life on that Caribbean island from the perspective of a young person. And I think that's what, you know, if you're making a policy, make sure you get all those perspectives. Absolutely, it does make sense, you know. Well, well, Chris, uh, could you just tell us a, more, a bit more about a grain of sand initiative and how it helps drive positive change? Okay, um, so yeah, a grain of sand is, um, it, it's, it's basically me and anybody else I'll kind of want to be working with. But the the initiative, the, the idea of it is that, you know, a little tiny grain of sand, when it gets into an oyster, you know, that's what makes a pearl. So it, it can be an irritation and it, it can be provocative, but it causes the oyster to make that pearl. So it's about, about being a little bit irritating but then creating something beautiful and wonderful. And so, you know, I might go in with an organization and I do it with several and I do lots of public speaking and I'll be provocative. I might ask the questions that people don't want to hear. And I'll say, but why are you doing that? You know, move, change, believe that you can make a difference. And I do all kinds of things from public speaking, um, you know, one day workshops, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm here. So, uh, so how committed are businesses and governments globally uh, to continuing the momentum that has gathered to date on sustainability? Um, I, I swing between extreme despair and extreme optimism. Um, uh, uh, and funnily enough, um, I was saying just a minute ago that, um, you know, our government in the UK have just are saying that we're the leaders in you know addressing climate change but uh, a bunch of mps members of parliament have just come out and said 
well, yeah, but your plan isn't really up to much. And actually, you're just saying a lot, but you're not actually doing a lot. And I think we need to see that shift. We need to see that actual shift to real um, committed action. We have to see that now. So that's kind of an example of greenwashing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolute greenwashing. And our government, were, you know, the UK government was called out on it by some of our own members of parliament. And, you know, and we have to care about that. If that's what if that's what they're doing. You know, we've known I went to I went to a conference 30 years ago or 28 years ago where we were talking about, you know, the, 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 the you know climate change coming smashing into places like Africa and, and a mass migration coming from that as you know the the there was a UN report that linked the Syrian war to climate change it was one of the influencing factors that caused the Syrian war and that's caused mass migration and political instability in Europe so well, you know if if politicians aren't understanding this then they need again to wake up they need you know they don't and and we i often have this kind of debate people some people say yeah but the politicians are you know they're all the same they're not all the same and the houses of parliament are ours that's our houses of parliament it's not and we have as much right to be there you know surface against suits we went to the houses of parliament within nine months ten months of forming and the day we got there and we pulled the Secretary of State for the Environment, because we went with TV cameras and a documentary and everything, we drove that agenda. And the day we got there, the government announced a £2 million spend on research into the health effects of bathing in sewage contaminated seawater. Because they want, they had, they knew we were coming. They had to do something. Well, Chris, you know, uh... Here I come to the conclusion part of the podcast, where there are a few points, you know, that if, uh, we come across, which says, you know, globally sustainability has caught on in a big way. Uh, financial services companies may not be leading the charge, but they are more than big bringing up the rare. Uh, I'd say global initiatives such as the UN's zero carbon campaign can only go so far. And while customers are driving change, regulation will need to evolve. Governments too will have to offer more support. Uh, the industry has adopted the mantra, people, planet, profit, but it will continue to take considerable work and diligence before sustainability is no longer a buzzword, but a way of life. Well, Chris, on this note, I would like to thank you so much to be a part of this podcast.